Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Spencer Dinwiddie on the show. Uh, appreciate you being on. So, like, what happens? Let's talk about it. When you get traded, where to live and all of the stuff that kind of goes along with it. Like, you said you're in a hotel. Yeah. Like, you have, I know you have a kid. Well, one kid, right? Yeah. So that's crazy that, that you just get thrown into the mix like that and you have to figure out your life immediately. Obviously, it's part of your life, but, like, how do you figure all of that stuff out? I mean, having been traded shoot twice now um the team actually helps you out with it uh and there's like a lot of little nuanced rules you get like uh i think 45 days in a hotel um you know that they'll pay for and like different stuff like that so you know it's it's really just pack up and go um as far as my son like he he splits time so like that uh he still goes back to dallas and stuff like that so a little bit easier possibly on him um and now he's not enrolled in school anymore and he gets to kind of you know do full-time homeschool and stuff like that so you know i think he's actually enjoying that a little bit more so he's probably happy to net to pull the trigger there's a lot of like uh analysis in football where you know when a new quarterback goes to a team let's say it's like aaron Rodgers is going to go to the jets it's like mm-hmm. he has to learn a new system he has to learn his teammates and stuff like that basketball we don't talk like that we don't say like oh spencer's going from the mavericks to the nets he has to learn the new system the new playbook uh, just because of the way we think about basketball, we don't think of it as being like this voluminous playbook that you have to dive yeah. through. But what is that like for you? Cause, I mean, because you you were here before. Obviously, there's maybe some carryover, but it's been a while. So like, oh, what yeah. is that? And also gelling with all these guys who you've never played with before. I mean, I think that's more so the uh, the key difference, right? I think, like you said, uh, in football, the, the playbook is voluminous, as you said. Um, and a lot of that comes down to timing, like on the routes and stuff, right? And so people might have... A different timing. I think uh, that's kind of where it's similar. You know, everybody has a different game and a different uh, kind of timing and way like the ball and all that other stuff. And so as like kind of the uh, leader of that ship, in a sense, trying to learn all these new guys on the fly that also are trying to learn each other adds a completely new dynamic. When you're plugging into, you know, kind of a well-oiled machine already, you're just like, okay, I'm going to get in here. I'm going to learn this little piece today, I'm going to learn this little piece tomorrow. And you can kind of almost chuck it out in that respect. You know, when you come into a new team that's also just becoming a completely new team as a whole with no practice time, it's kind of like just turn on the faucet and let it run and just we'll figure it out. One of the things also that I, I feel like I intuit about you is that you really respect and admire guys who can adjust their game to the situation. Um, and I think that's also because you are good at that. Sort of as you appraise the current net situation, where do you see yourself adapting to? What do you think the team needs right now? 
I mean, I, I think easy answer is, is time, obviously. I think, mm. uh, you know, the ability to kind of coalesce is, is something that we're, we're, we're missing. I think um, having that defensive identity and I think, you know, learn each guy uh, as a human being as well. Um, obviously, we see uh, Mikhail putting up big numbers scoring. Uh, we know Cam's a prolific shooter. We got to get, you know, Doe shooting on track. I mean, he obviously has shot 40% for uh, a big portion of his career from three. Um, another good spot-up guy, Joe, obviously can really shoot it. So, you know, in theory, we have, uh, you know, great spot-up guys. I know uh, our analytics department is obviously big on high-quality shots. And the funny part is we've actually been generating a lot of those. Uh, we just haven't been uh, necessarily converting them at the at the clip that we want. Um, but it bodes well to, to you know, winning basketball games when you hold the the top two offenses to, you know, 108 and 101. Um, you just got to knock down shots. And then for me, uh, everything they talk about is just getting in the paint, making the right play, letting the, letting the game kind of decide it. Um, of late, obviously, that's been a lot more, uh, you know, double-digit assist games and, a little bit uh, less volume scoring wise, um, and and some of that's also due to the defense that you know the team are playing. They're they're blitzing and they're putting two on the pick and roll to kind of stop the penetration. So you know you, you make the right read and get off it. Yeah, and I don't think we even talk about with you the fact that you know you left here Brooklyn, you went to Washington. The idea is you're sharing the ball with Beal, and then you get traded to Dallas. You go play with Luca, who obviously is usage wise. What is he? one or two you 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 went from being you know sort of that the off guard combo i mean of course you handled the ball in dc and in dallas you are the guy handling the ball all the time in brooklyn how is that for you to kind of tap back into you know that's the spencer that we remember yeah uh, before you know the journey that you went on to come back to to brooklyn how is that for you oh man i think um in the last year and a half not including brooklyn i've had three completely separate roles i think when i was in dc me and brad were both kind of tasked with attacking to a degree um it wasn't necessarily off ball it wasn't necessarily on ball it was kind of like you know just kind of read it type of situation um which was interesting as we were trying to put a new new team together at that point in time as well um when i when i first got to dallas last season you know it was as the third uh creator behind luca and jb um and that that role was more so just like attack, just you know when you get in like it's about kind of all out just aggression. If if those guys aren't rolling right, you kind of got to read to see if Lucas hot or JB's hot first. And if they're not, you know, then you just come in, you'd be super aggressive. Um, this year, playing like true like kind of co-pilot with Luca was, you know, you kind of start off the game as a catch and shoot guy, um, and you know, obviously for me, my my catch shoot numbers throughout my career have always been pretty good. Um, it's the like grenades and the and the harder, you know, deep step backs and things that typically drop my percentage. So you saw a real big rise in uh overall three-point percentage just from the fact that I was taking a bunch of easy ones versus taking a bunch of hard ones, um, which was fun. Um and then obviously when he was off the court, it was more so of the kind of, you know, get guys involved, you know what I'm saying? check Christian Wood and Tim Hardaway's temperature and, you know, all that type of stuff. Now back to Brooklyn this year, you know what I'm saying, for this this last 20 game or so stretch, it's it's back completely on the ball, but it's not the standpoint of just being able to be like, hey, look, like just attacking, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Like I think um, 
1920, the last time y'all y'all really saw me, the bigger guys were hurt. Um, you know, we had like Joe Harris and Torian Princes as shooters, but you know, our other really dynamic guys were Jared Allen and DJ. And so it was pretty much just getting the paint every play and try to finish. If you don't finish, they'll offensive rebound, tip dunk it, or throw the lob. And that was kind of the, the crux of our offense. Now, you know, there's a certain level of, you know, reading the game, calling Mikel's plays early, trying to get Cam a couple of touches early. Then you got to get in the paint and also, you know, break down the defense as well. So it's a it's a combined effort, uh, combined mentality, I would say, more so than uh, any any stop I've been in. And again, like I said, I think um, that's why my assist numbers have been so high right now is because trying to fill out the group and trying to make sure that everybody has a certain rhythm so we can kind of have all those options to attack with and play with versus it just being like uh, uh, one style. You were talking about step backs, right? And grenades. Yeah. Uh, obviously, like you can look at your percentages and say like, oh, I catch and shoot. I mean, you're not always going to get catch and shoot threes. Like yeah. that's a product of someone else. Yeah. So when you have step backs, even if you shoot, I don't know what the percentage is. Let's say it's 30%. Mm -hmm. Do you th still think by doing it, like I always wonder, the product of actually still attempting the shot has a positive effect on how defenders defend you, even if you don't make it? Or is it more of a rhythm thing in the game where you're like, like, it's not like you're thinking of it on that level. Do you understand? Do you know what I mean by that? It's like, because there's yeah. some product of like by taking that step back three, you're forcing the defender to at least, it's like in football again, throwing deep, testing the defense a couple of times, forces yeah. the defense to play deep. Is there some level of that or is it more of just the product of the moment you're playing basketball? You're not a computer. A little bit of both. I think obviously we understand what's a good shot, what's a bad shot. Like you said, you have to maintain the threat to score at all three levels and it's a shot. Um, capable of making so that's why sometimes you take those you know overall though the the volume of of the shots that you want to take all you always want to make it a uh, the highest quality possible so that that then obviously uh deals with more rim pressure than than anything but you know threes and layups is how pretty much i was i grew up in the league right like that's all kenny preached that's all you know what i'm saying like most teams circa 26 15 or so have, have ever talked about right so um, you're always going to try to look for those two, um, you know, un unless you're just a complete mid-range sniper. But, you know, I, I think you, you maintain the threat, but you understand that you want to get to the rim first. Uh, and that's not just for layups for yourself, but also just to cause havoc and create uh, opportunities for teammates. So you all, you've also played on super star-studded teams like Kyrie, KD, Beal, Luka, and now coming back to a more egalitarian situation. What is that like dynamic-wise in terms of how you do figure out what you want to do on the court, what players' roles are. Is there like an open dialogue or how do you actually find your spots? Oh, man. Nah, I mean, I think we have a bunch of good guys and we have a bunch of like fairly, you know, honest and realistic guys. And I think, um, you know, in, in that respect, along with our, our coach JV, those kind of uh, come into place in terms of roles and things like that. Um, it's not necessarily, like you said, as loud as a, a, a Luca or, you know what I'm saying, superstar studded uh, group in that respect. But, you know, we, we've seen Mikhail score at an extremely high level. Um, we got to continue to get him his touches. We know who our shooters are. And then, obviously, I, I know what my job is in terms of, like I said, again, that's probably sound like a broken record, but just, you know, run the pick and roll efficiently, get in the, get in the lane, trying to get guys shots, right? So, you know, it's, uh, it's not rocket science as much as it is, you know, a situation where you, you, you want all the nuances to come together. And some of that you're just going to miss uh, without without a certain like amount of time. You talk about Jock Vaughn 
He had a quote about you the other day. I think it was like this past Tuesday where he said, I've seen Spencer at the age of 22 and 23. Now I see him at 29, 30. Maturation's another level. What does that mean? What is he talking about? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the league ages you in dog years, man. Mm. I've lived a lot of life. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. A lot of life. Nine nine yeah. going on 10 years in the NBA, man. Oh, boy. I'm a, I'm a grandpa. You know what I'm saying? In in the real world, bro, like I'm a I'm a grandpa. I may only be twenty nine, but like just in terms of like your body or like life experience or Oh no, no, yeah. my, my body's actually good, man. I, I eat pretty well and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. just you just experience so many things, you know, and then uh how many people in their job, right, get just packed up and shipped around and stuff like that. And you know, I've done it twice in two years, right? And it's just just different things and you're in these different cities, you're with different people, you just you you have to go through so much, you know what I'm saying, just in terms of life experience that, uh, you know, you you kind of are forced to mature. And especially if you're a student of of life as well, like you're going to absorb those experiences. And I think it makes you a better human being. You talk about Jacques. He was an assistant coach here when you were here the first yeah. time around. And I always am interested by the guy who was the assistant who becomes the head coach at some point and how they change. And it was a long time ago when you were with Jacques, but like- is he different as a head coach? Like when you're the head guy, you kind of have to operate a little bit differently than, you know, being an assistant coach. Is there things that you notice that he is different or is he essentially the same guy? It's just that now there's, you know, he's running the show. Well, I think what you're going to see is that he's going to put more and more of his imprint on, you know, the team, the culture and all that other stuff. Uh, just like anything in life, right? Like there's there's roles to different situations. And as an assistant coach, even if you're the head assistant, you still have to be in a supportive role. You know what I'm saying? To the head coach and, and whatever the head coach's ultimate vision is, right? So like I said, Kenny was super analytics-based, all threes and layups, like nothing else, you know? And, and so whether you agree with that or disagree with that, like you got to, you know, support it. You know what I'm saying? As much as possible. I mean, healthy discourse, but you got to still support it. I think... Um, what you're going to see now is just the the full essence and uh, uh, brainchild of, of JV. And I think um, him obviously being a former NBA player and and really being able to connect to guys on a on a personal level is, has served him extremely well and will continue to do so, you know, in the future. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mike, Mike wants to know about SVB. That's what he wants to know about. That's his. Yeah, ex. I was going to oh, ask you, what do you think of <laughs> Silicon Valley? Because you know everyone talks to you about crypto, and you know it's, there's a bigger world out there of financial yeah. opportunities for Spencer Dinwiddie to comment on. So, do you think Silicon Valley Bank should be bailed out, or do you think it should be, uh, you know, should be allowed to die? What's what's Spencer Dinwiddie's take on that? <laughs> like you're really considering? You're like, wait, is SVB? Do they spot? Um, no, no, no. You don't have to answer. I mean, if you I'm not. I'm not a. I mean, obviously, my affinity for crypto, like I've told people all the time, has been because it makes sense, right? Um, fractional reserve lending, especially to the degree that we do it, doesn't really make sense to me. So, would I be? And I know that's not the the problem that 
SVB SVB necessarily went through because they they became insolvent due to you know what I'm saying poor investments. But I mean, hey, if if a if a bank has to go under, it has to go under. Now on the flip side. Brian, right. that's the headline. Real quick, <laughs> that's the headline. We're, we're going to share with the New York Post. Spencer Dinwiddie colon banks have to crash. That's what happens. Yeah, no, I know. Hey, listen, I, I'm, I we're all I get, yeah, safe space. Now, I get here. caught all the time with uh with with hot takes, but I understand uh, bailing them out as as kind of like a, a group psychology effort. Um, I, I get that part and trying to save other regional banks so there's no type of bank run or or any fears of that. And so this one, I'm going to leave to the politicians. I'm going to stay in my uh, crypto lane and, uh, you know, keep track of basketball. When, when you see, like, there's an element of celebrity investor in crypto, which did not work out, from SVB to Samuel Bankman Freed, some <laughs> SBF, do you see some level of, um, like, investment from other NBA players in crypto? You're like, you, you have a sense of, like, they don't really understand the crypto in the same way that like when tom brady and kim kardashian put money yeah. towards that well i think it's i think it's kind of twofold right i think um they were talking about athlete crypto investments and maybe investment wasn't the right word because when we talk about investments we typically think of like real estate projects or stocks or bonds right stuff like that a lot of these things where it wasn't necessarily um genuine on the performers or entertainers uh front it was more an endorsement deal it was somebody reaching out saying hey i'll give you a million dollars if you say xyz about this nft and blah blah blah. that's much more like an endorsement you know what i'm saying that's you know i i have endorsement deals with waters and you know i have 361 my shoes and stuff like that right so you know it wasn't i don't need to know exactly how the company 361 functions and and all that stuff. Now I, I need to know the shoe is quality and stuff like that. And they're good people, but you know, not how the company functions itself. Right. Um, and I think because crypto already kind of had a uh, negative reputation, black market scams, things of that nature. Um, people always need a target to kind of be mad at. Um, I think, you know, if you really look at it for what it was for most of the entertainers, it wasn't ever an investment. It was endorsement. Um, and with that, you know, being said for the people that are serious, I, I'll talk crypto all the time, all day. I tell people that all the time. Like it's something that I'm actually passionate about. Um, and, and obviously I've been in for, for several years now. Um, but I think we got to separate that type of thought process and mentality. And I understand like with the possibility of losing money that you don't necessarily want to call it an endorsement, but you know, that's why it shouldn't be financial advice. See, you're wrong though, because Brady was the guy cooking the books at crypto.com. <laughs> this is, you know, you don't know that. I got sources I can't talk about in the Southern District of New York. No but you had a quote many years ago about Nick Claxton. Mm -hmm. This is when Nick was, you guys had you, Kyrie, Katie, and him. And you said Nick was the second most talented player on the team. Yeah. And it's been a journey, but Nick Claxton over this past year has really yeah. shown a lot. Do you, you do you just want to shout from the rooftops and say, yeah, take a little credit. Take I'm like the greatest scout and credit. NBA scout of all time because you knew, <laughs> nah, nah, you nah, knew nah, early not the greatest on. NBA scout of all time. I mean, Sean Marks and, and everybody wants to draft him, but as far as the quote, I think um, you know we saw we saw from from the very beginning a, a dude that was six eleven, fluid, 
had a nose for the ball, had a kind of an aggression to him. Um, just the fluidity with which he moved, he could handle it a little bit. He just kind of had all the little like skills where you were like, oh, I could see him being able to shoot a little bit in the future. I could see him being able to, you know, push the brake a little bit in the future. Like, you could see all these things. And it was more so about like letting him know that like somebody that was playing at a high level or is playing at a high level saw that in him, um, giving him kind of maybe to kick in the ass a little bit. And, you know, again, right, talent is nothing without work. So he had to put in the work to start showing this stuff. And I think, you know, he's only scratching the surface and, you know, with another couple summers of, you know, big time work, he's going to be one of those premier um, guys in the in the NBA at his position. But, um, you know, sometimes we all we, we kind of need to know that kind of need to hear that, especially when we're not playing and we're young and maybe a little discouraged, a little injured, a little banged up, because um, that was, I mean, pretty much the knock on him was that he, you know, he always had like little knickknack injuries and, and stuff like that. But it wasn't ever a, a talent thing that uh, that he was deficient at. And, and like I said, you're seeing it now. Better pick and roll partner, Nick Claxton or Jared Allen. And you got to pick one. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, All right. No, that, that's, that's tough. Because me and Jared had the most lobs in the league and played <laughs> together yes. for a couple of years, I would say J.A. Okay. But Shots fired. Again, yeah. Nah, me and Nick only played no, together no. real for like 10 games. I think what Nick can do in terms of how he moves, his ability to handle and also pass, that he'll be the better pick and roll partner just because you'll be able to hit him in the pocket. He'll be able to make other plays. Um, I was merely just talking from the lob perspective just because, you know, Jay made it super easy on me. Those are both my guys. Like Jay is really my guy too. So that's you. you, you I know. Made, I know. I did, you I did said, a bad thing. I yeah. said, uh, throw him somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now list the most talented players on the team. Rank them one to five. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't know what is there fifteen games or so left. In the, I don't even know how many oh left in the season. You know, when what are we? Tr- what are you trying to all figure out? What's the number one priority? Because this team's going to be in the playoffs, right? Yeah. You guys are going to be in the playoffs. Is there a, a sort of a guiding light for you guys in these next games to put yourself in the best position to just do whatever you guys can do in the playoffs? What's the guiding light there? Yeah, I mean, I think as it pertains to this year. It's all about growth. I mean, I know that our fan base uh, went from having championship expectations and kind of still almost does to a degree um, with a group that was just put together a couple weeks ago. Um, Obviously, got to temper that uh, somewhat just because, like, we have to figure each other out. You know what I'm saying? I think every step is is kind of a building block and and going in that direction, I think. You know, long term, there's a there's a bunch of optimism and, and fans should be optimistic because you guys have very clearly two foundational pieces in Mikhail and Nick. I think you have a host of, you know, positive uh, direction that, that it looks like this thing can go, you know, and, and, and they're trying to build a foundation and a culture and start to reestablish some of the stuff that they feel like uh, they lost a bit. Right. And, and so, you know, I think um, this year, it like being able to go to the playoffs, gain that experience and, and win some games uh, would be huge just for kind of that next step in development. Like having gone to the Western Conference Finals last year with Dallas, you really see what it means to win at the highest level. You know what I'm saying? As the 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 screws tighten and the, and the scouting reports get more dense and everybody gets locked in and you're really playing for something and how that kind of can inspire growth um, in your team and the young guys, um, et cetera. And so I think, um, 
that's the main thing that we're fighting for right now is, is the building of the foundation um, and, and, and reestablishing a culture, which I know was a word that y'all probably had drinking games <laughs> back in the back. Um, but I, I think that's, that's mainly what the target is and, and understanding that, you know, we, we got two really great pieces and, and, you know, looking forward to seeing how it continues to round in the form. Yeah. I will say, I didn't really, I wasn't going to really touch on this, but like there is an element of the fan base that I don't think has really locked into the fact that you guys are just thrown together. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, it's, uh, it's something that I've kind of noticed. I've even gotten some like, you know, questions about like seating and championship and stuff from reporters and, <laughs> and things. And I'm like, yeah. hey, listen, guys, don't get it twisted. Like, like I said, I was just in West Conference Finals last year. I want to win. I don't like losing. I hated being in a losing situation. It was the most annoying thing in the world. But expecting us to like go out there and beat Milwaukee in a seven-game series being thrown together, is it possible? Can we get enough stops to do it and have a puncher's chance? For sure. Like we have enough talent here to to do it. But like, am I going to bet the farm on it and and like kill myself if we don't? Nah, yeah. like <laughs> I'm saying, like you know, there's just no, and, yeah. and you'll see it in in little gaps in the game, right? Like there was one time I thought for sure Mikel was gonna curl because that's what he always used to run in Phoenix, and so I mm. threw the ball to the inside and threw it like right to Sabonis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So, and and it wasn't his fault. It wasn't really my fault. It's just as soon as he planted a certain way, I'm thinking Phoenix play mm. and put a pass, and he stopped. And I said, "Damn, right." Yeah, yeah I mean, he yelled at him. The he glared. No. no, no, that was the Mikel one. I didn't. That was Nick Claxton that I glared. Yeah, because yeah. Nick was begging me all game to throw the lob, so I throw it and he don't jump. And I yeah. said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, 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 no, no, don't, don't ask for it." Yeah, and then not, and then not jump, jump at all. At least jump and hit the ball or something, so we both look crazy. But yeah, yeah. So when, it's just when you say type, Phoenix, type, you bring up the Phoenix. Was that so? Was that post trade? Where did you? Is that? I mean, obviously you watch film on Phoenix. They're a competitor of yours. But did you watch film to say, okay, I know where Mikhail wants it? Or was that just embedded in you from all the research or film work that you had done playing against the team? That you're just like, oh, I I know what Phoenix runs. It's not like I don't need to do like extra homework. You know what I mean? Well, that one, that one I got a little lucky with because Dallas played Phoenix a million times since I've been there or since I had been there. And so, yeah, no, I I had watched so much Mikhail and Cam and CP and book film that like, yeah, like Sweeney had us watching – 45 minutes of film every day. So yeah, that was that was embedded by the point um that I actually got to play with him. If it had have been uh different guys, I, I might have uh or probably would have ended up like taking some dedicated time to watch their games. You talk about Mikhail, you've seen him played a bunch of times. Are you seeing something new from him or did you feel like you saw this in him and it was just, you know, obviously Phoenix, there's a pecking order of Booker CP3, Aiton getting his touches, and Mikhail was put in the role that he was put in. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, like like you said, you you kind of understand that roles and opportunity dictate how things go in the league. And so, like you said, it's pretty much a fourth option there. Um, I think we all knew he could score and, and do it at a high level because when guys were hurt in Phoenix, he, he did it in stretches. I just didn't think, I don't think anybody knew how efficient he could be, right? Like, I know at one point in time, there was a stretch of games, he was like 50, 50, 90, like that. He was the greatest score of all time that maintained, you know what I'm saying? And shoot, and if it does maintain, we probably will make a playoff run. But, um, you know, I think I think that was where uh, everybody was a little bit shocked. We all knew he was a good player. We all probably figured he'd average twenty. You know, what I'm saying it was it was the thirties that was like, oh, okay, you know, he's really he's really got that action. 
So again, just to take away for this this interview, Spencer thinks no chance for the playoffs. Mikhail is not the greatest player of all time. <laughs> and he hates Nick Claxton. He loves Jared Allen. Is that is that the takeaway yeah, hey, hey, we should yeah, have? Hey, go That's ahead. how it's going to get chopped right, up. Hey, for sure. New York Times. Let's do it. All right, man. Uh, Spencer, I appreciate your time. Thanks yeah. so much. Thanks yeah. for helping on me. Hey, Spencer, by the way, you may not know this, but you were the first person to ever be on our show, like 2015, I want to say. Uh, and we spent the entire time grilling you about DBZ. Um, so that's a regret. But also, <laughs> to tie it together, <laughs> um, are you watching any anime in 2023? And if so, is it Jujutsu Kaisen? <laughs> it's not Jujutsu Kaisen. I've okay. actually Fair. been uh, catching up on Boruto. Okay. You know. That's fine. Get get to Jujutsu Kaisen. I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. It's okay. I, like it. Yeah. I will. Big Thank wreck. You. Huge wreck. Um, All right. Mike, get us out of here. Uh, this. Thanks for listening. This was the Glenn <laughs> Guys. NetCilly.com and The Athletic. Get yourself with the people. We are a subsidiary of the New York Times. Thank thanks, Spencer. Thank you, guys. Appreciate thanks, you. Man. Thanks, man. All right.